Chase Moore, as well as Jerry Marshall coming up this evening. We also had the good pleasure to sit down with the good sister, Crystal Corrine. She's a poetess, filmmaker, actress, singer, and she's here to talk to us about some sisterhood stuff and her latest poetry project that she just put out there for the world to see just recently on Juneteenth. That's Crystal Corrine. And I'm also proud to welcome the people involved with the Boss Lady press release of I Am a Black Man, Ascension of the Kings. And we have three of the contributors joining us this evening. We have Darshell McAlpine. We have the good brother, Mr. McAlpine, also known as Alpine. And we have clinical psychotherapist, Dr. Carolyn Stevens. So it's gonna be an amazingly packed show and you might wanna call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is kcwgthetruth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more. We'll be right back with our first guest, Miss Crystal Corrine, after this. This is Crystal Corrine, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on kcwgthetruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Marbola, Marbola, oh, I wanna get to know ya. Lavender, incense, aroma, beach, I see, Arizona. Marbola, Marbola, I believe in you, my Jehovah. Don't let nobody control ya. Got a Ruby Copo, I'm on a poster. Dressed in a silky kimono, rarely ever see her in a photo. She okay with being alone though, she been working on a globe. Take that 
Yeah, I wanna get to know ya. Lavender, incense, aroma. Peach iced tea, Arizona. My reposa, my reposa. I believe in you, my Jehovah. Don't let nobody control ya. Got a rupee cup, oh, I'm on a poster. Yes, we are back. KCWG, thetruth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome, and we are continuing our discussions with artists that are celebrating their artistry despite and because of the ongoing pandemic, racial distress, everything that we're dealing with. Black joy, ladies and gentlemen, has to prevail and continue on. And on the line right now is someone who is continue, continuing to do just that. A few people I've been meeting on this uh, site called the, the Blackout Coalition on Facebook, and they have just been synonymous with just bringing together the, uh, the wide diaspora of the Black community across the country and across the world, really. And this is how I met this artist. She is a multi-talented artist who sings, she songwrites, she's a filmmaker, she was a poetry writer. She does it all in front of and behind the camera. Uh, she's a multi-hyphenate, ladies and gentlemen. So please welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, actress, singer, songwriter, Crystal Kareen. Miss Kareen, are you there? I am here. Hey, what's going on? So we were talking a little bit before we started to roll tape, as they say. And uh, you're actually uh, a multi-city transplant from uh, regions far, wide, and near. Uh, currently, where are you stationed right now? I'm in New York now. I live in Brooklyn. Oh, boogie down Brooklyn. Absolutely. <laughs> now, you started your days in the uh, the beautiful city of Chicago before moving to L.A., correct? I did. I did. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about your background in terms of uh, how your artistry developed in the city of Chicago before you moved to L.A. and now Brooklyn? What can you tell us about that story? Yeah. For, well, first, I, I want to go back to I'm, I'm originally from Cleveland, so I got to I got to ah, put that out there. because the like we, Cleveland, we go we go hard. So <laughs> <laughs> come on now. I'm, I'm originally uh, I'm from Cleveland um, and I left there at 18 to go to school in Chicago. OK. Um, what I love about Chicago is I feel like you get the big city vibe, but you still get the the small town feel and like some of the. Uh, the small town values, you know? So I feel like it has like the perfect balance. Mm -hmm. um, Chicago has a great artistic community. Chicago is a place where you can, we, we always say it's a great city to fail. And we mean that in the best way possible because you can, you can experiment and try different things and produce different things. And it's a forgiving city in the sense where you might you might produce something, you might put on a show, and it might not be that good. But the city's going to welcome you to do it again, you know, to grow and get better. Um, really? So yeah, I always say the theater community. It's really like a it's like one big dysfunctional family. <laughs> like like we all we all love each other, we all support each other, we so all wait. get on each other's nerves. But at the end of the day. If you come for come for one of us, you come for all of us. You know. Oh, that's what's I feel up. like Look. that's a really yeah. I think that's a really special thing about. Well, um, let me get this Chicago. straight. So you could actually be on stage in, in certain segments of Chicago in the artist community and actually sing off key a little bit, and the audience will still come back and support you next time. <laughs> 
I mean, when, when you put it like that, it's like, mm. it's like <laughs> but, really but, but yeah, like, so, so, I've, I have a I've, <laughs> so I've, I've seen where like, you know, like in Chicago, for example, it's a, it's a huge theater town. And a lot of the theater is, you know, small black box, intimate storefront theaters. So you have oh. a lot of people who start theater companies and they're like, I want to produce a show. And a lot of times, the first time they, they go for it and produce it, it's not necessarily the best product. Sometimes they, you, they come out and, and they do amazing work, but that's not always what happens because along with experimenting, you take big risks. Yeah, and do. sometimes those risks pay off and they work and sometimes not so much. You yeah. have to learn from it, right? Mm -hmm. So I have seen where people have produced shows and they're not necessarily the best right off the bat. They're not the best in the first season. Mm -hmm. But they come back, they learn, and their friends and their community will support them again. That's awesome. And I think that's a, that's a rarity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we need that everywhere. Now, compare and contrast that with the other places that you live. You're in Brooklyn now, but how much does that translate over into L.A. while you were there? Hmm. You know, L.A., LA is a, it's, it's a different <laughs> vibe altogether. I mean, I, I remember when I moved out there, when I was about to move out there, people kept reiterating to me. They're like, when you, when you find your, um, find your tribe, when you find people you can trust, there you go. keep them close, keep yeah. your circle tight, keep them yeah. close, you know? Mm -hmm. And when people are telling me that, I'm like, oh yeah, you got to do that everywhere. But when I moved out there, mm -hmm. I got why people reiterated it so much. Mm -hmm. Um, I yeah. was really blessed in LA that I found um, a, a really good acting studio that was like a family, right? Okay. It, and I feel like, honestly, if I did not have that studio and those people there, I don't know how I would have survived out in LA. Mm. You know, I felt like I really needed that sense of family and community coming from, from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the people who I have seen that um, have remained successful in the sense where they're still pursuing um, what they love and they, um, they still have like they're, they're, they haven't, um, <laughs> you know, completely lost themselves. That's right. I feel like that's the common theme I've seen with everybody. They've found people that they know will hold them accountable, mm -hmm. that they know have their best interests at heart. Yes. Um, because, you know, the industry, you can, you can sell your soul <laughs> to, to, you know, to climb yeah. in the industry. And but like we were saying before we were, we, before we went on the air, I mean, LA has a lot of myths about it too, just like Chicago, because, mm -hmm. you know, you're here. I, I want to talk to you about that in particular, cause I'm from LA born and raised. Mm -hmm. and I can tell you one of the knocks against us was that we're all fake, we're all superficial, and we don't have a tribe that is anything of substance. You know what I mean? It's all about what you can get and how you can use people. But there is, that is absolutely not the totality of Los Angeles. So in your experience from Chicago to LA, what were some of the myths that you left behind that you could dispel for us right now about Chicago and the ones that you encountered that you were expecting to possibly see once you got to LA that turned out not really to be true at all can you talk to us about that a little bit um in chicago i would say the biggest myth is that it's it's a dangerous city and it's not a good place to live mm -hmm. i think that's the biggest myth that i can dispel i think it's just like any other city they have their 
not so good areas and their bad areas and you have your great areas. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I would say Chicago is overall a great place to live. And, um, it's more than what, you know, the small fraction you see on the news That's right. in LA. I totally agree. There are definitely genuine people out there for sure. And you can find good people. I will say that I had to put more energy um, toward keeping people close and toward um, not allowing myself to get caught up in like the Hollywood lifestyle than I have in other cities, just because there is so, there, there's so much of it out there. Um, mm -hmm. But that's definitely not the city as a whole whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What made that challenging though was the is the lure of the the limelight is what gets people because they say money is a powerful drug or power is a powerful drug so what 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 would is can what can you tell us about what that gravity was that tends to suck the life out of people the the soul out of people that they're willing to surrender that in favor of what they consider to be the dream that they came here for in the first place um well, I think from the standpoint like when people say like oh la is la is superficial yes some of the industry is very superficial yes there are superficial people out there um and you have to work to like you know stay stay with the people who you know are not about that but i think the thing that makes it so hard is that you are constantly reminded that you might not be um what is looked at as beautiful there or desirable there because they have all these like people who look like Kim Kardashian or who, who have yeah. gotten surgery to look like, like you have so much of, of that um, mm. there and present and in front of you. And since that is in your face a lot, I think it can be hard um, to not succumb to that and be like, yeah, I do need to, I do need to look like that. I do need to, to lose the weight to look like that X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you do have to um, have a balance because to be honest, this is an industry where it is totally legal and ethical to discriminate or maybe not ethical, but they can discriminate against you for the way you look. Right. Mm -hmm. So you do have to be aware of the way you look and the way you come across, but going through everyday life there, it can be difficult to not let that seep into your head so much where it becomes obsessive. Like I like people will always say like, oh, you're small, you're tiny. I'm like, oh, to the rest of the world, maybe in LA. No, I'm not. It's a different standard of what, what uh, beauty is and what's acceptable. Like people have a joke like, oh, well, a 10 everywhere else is like a six in LA. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it can be hard not to, um, to let those, to let that fuel you i guess oh yeah. wow yeah that does sound like a different vibe and the sisterhood <laughs> vibe i mean you know we're you and i met you know through the blackout coalition to where there's a lot of solidarity in our community right now mm -hmm. now absent of this moment which is going to be here for the foreseeable future was it to what degree were you experiencing this type of solidarity where we're going to circle our black wagons and we're going to lift our sisters up did you experience a lot of that while you were in LA before moving to Brooklyn? Mm, you know what? I talk about this sometimes with like my, my black guy friends because I, I, I'll be real quick to say like, I feel like 
people here in Brooklyn, like they appreciate black beauty, like the natural beauty more than Mm. I felt like, you know, in, in LA. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think a lot of times they support us in a way where they think they're being supportive, but they don't fully grasp, um, how do I word this? I don't think they, they fully grasp how some of their words and their actions might not uplift a black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and even with this movement, I still think it's something that's, that needs work. I think, Absolutely. I think it, um, it requires a lot of listening and being open. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I still think it needs a lot of work. It does. And it's yeah. a work in progress. Cause I don't even know the brother's name who was dissing Jill Scott recently on uh, Twitter where he said, do y'all really find her attractive? And Ex- people mm-hmm. came out like, brother, are you kidding? I mean, mm-hmm. we love Jill Scott. I and mean, the fact cool. that, and even that right there, it's like, you know, the fact that you put that on a, on a you know one of your social media platforms Mm -hmm. that you felt like you were comfortable enough and you felt like it was okay Mm -hmm. to talk down about a black woman on on social media when you have such a huge following you know like i mean you couldn't call up call up some of your friends and be like yo you know what i mean like (laughs) right right so yeah it's like, what was he thinking? It's like, what could go wrong? It's like, like everything. Cause you know, we, we trying to lift each other up and brother, that's just not helpful right now. So that you would say that's kind of an example of the sleight of hand. Like, do you think it's, how intentional do you think it is? Not on his part. Cause that, that was just out of pocket. I, I think a lot of times it's, I think a lot of times it's not necessarily intentional. I feel like, you know, we grew up in a country that was built on white supremacy. Like at the end of the day, we, we consumed media that uplifted people that didn't look like us. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times that goes into what people look at as desirable. Mm. You know what I mean? And like, when I talk to like my black guy friends, um, because sometimes I just like, I'll be at work and I'll just observe like my, my coworker and I'll watch just the way his eyes look whenever a Kardashian esque girl walks by, whenever like a model esque white girl walks by, whenever mm-hmm. just like a, you know, all American, like wh- whenever they walk by, I'll just look at his eyes mm. and how you could tell he's attracted to it. And I'll watch the, I'll watch him to see if I, like, if I see a cute black girl and see what he, what his eyes do. And it's not the same. What do his eyes do? How do you describe the difference? I feel like he don't, he don't even see, he doesn't see her a lot of times. Mm. He won't even, he doesn't even see her. And it's not intentional, Mm -hmm. but he has consumed certain things growing up in this country. And when I have had conversations with like black men about it, and these are guys who like, they, they do think that they, they love black women. And I think they, they do to an extent in their way. And Mm -hmm. they have flat out told me like, yeah, you know, I think I'll, I'll definitely marry a black woman. Like, I think that says something like I I wouldn't, you know, I think like black women are the best to, you know, marry X, Y, and Z. And then 
they'll say, but there's so many options out here though. There's so there's so there's so much like there's so much different types of beauty out here. Why wouldn't I want to explore all that? Hmm. And I'm like, I get that. But do you understand how you're basically saying like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll be with a black woman eventually. I'll settle down with them. But before that, I just want to explore all the all the beauty. So I'm like, do you understand? Do you see how that can make a, a black woman feel where like they're living in the, the same city as you and all they see is you with those other types of women. Hmm. Wow. And they kind of get it. But at the same time, they're like, but I love black women. Crystal, I love you. Crystal, I think you're beautiful. Mm -hmm. Right. But you, you have this innate desire for, for other, hmm. and it's not all their fault. Like it, a lot of it is, what has been consumed growing mm -hmm. up in this country, you know? So yeah. it's definitely, a, it's an important conversation to, to have, but we, we, you know, we have a ways to go. Yeah. Well, what, uh, well, this is KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychiatry Bum School. I'm DJ Rome. We're talking to Crystal Corrine, actress, singer, filmmaker. Uh, we're just breaking down some stuff right now. So what is the, 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 the content of consumption that is, to, to be held accountable here. If you say we're, we're getting the wrong influences and the wrong messaging that brothers are thinking that they'd be better off somehow in the short term with a Kardashian type rather than a sister, what, what is the, I mean, without stating the obvious, because we know social media is a pervasive element out there, is there a specific type of uh, media programming that is like telling these brothers and whispering in their ear that sisters aren't good for them in the short term right now, but in um, the long term when they when they settle down after they've sown their wild roots, what do you think about that? Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say there's like necessarily one one specific thing, but just in in general with media, um, it is dispar disproportionately white it uplifts the white image and the white person. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so I think if you're, if you're a 30 year old man, you've had 30 years of that. And then to, from their perspective, from friends that I've talked to their perspective, they've been around black women their whole lives. When they go to LA, they see all the things that they've seen in the media, like all the glamorous stuff that they've seen in the media, you know? Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't they want that? In what ways are you capturing some of these elements in your storytelling and your filmmaking and your songs and music? Um, this moment that we're in right now, in what ways has it impacted your art? Um, you know, I've always wanted to, my goal has been able to make art that shows black people as three dimensional, like human beings, like us just being. Um, so recently, like with the, um, you know, the killings of, of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, there were times where I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a full out like piece. I'm gonna like record this and shoot this X, Y, and Z. Um, but there were a couple times where I'm like, you know what? I have, I, ha I just have this idea. I just need to get it out. I need to just record it, sing it. And I just like did it in my vocal booth just to like get my emotions out there. And I feel like, that that shows our humanity a lot of times because mm -hmm. a lot of times there's this myth that black people are so strong that we don't we don't hurt we don't feel pain right 
So I really just wanted to um, make art that that conveyed our feelings and um, what we were going through. Um, For Juneteenth, I actually did shoot a, a, a piece, which was more so about lifting black people up. I feel like we have been through such a hard time these past couple months. Um in the country in general, being black in America is hard. Mm-hmm. Um so I wanted to do a piece where it was just like celebrating us and celebrating our magic. So yeah. um I called it a, a love letter to to my kings and queens. Okay. Um if I and had uh, everything been going on the way it was going on, I don't know if I would have necessarily wrote that for Juneteenth Mm -hmm. but it was like at a point where I felt like there was so much we were going through so much and we were in so much pain as a people that I just wanted something to put a smile on our faces you know oh man yeah well and you were doing exactly that I watched a little of it uh let me see if I could play a little bit right here this is love letter to my kings and queens we're here with uh Crystal Corrine y'all stay tuned I love I love, 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 I love. All right, well, that's a teaser right there. I'm assuming, whose voice was that? Oh, that was mine. (laughs) (laughs) So you do it all, and then you go into this wonderful, um, highly articulate, uh, poetic flow where you just wax poetic. And uh, you're walk, you're seen walking and dancing through the city of. I'm assuming that doesn't look like LA. Where where did you shoot that? That was in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. looks like Brooklyn. Um, it, it's a beautiful piece. And right around yeah. Juneteenth, there was so much happening in the country at that time. And you're you're absolutely right. And the the document of the White House was threatening to do a, a campaign rally on that day, and all of that was happening. And then you dropped this wonderful video. And um, beautifully done. Uh, shouts out to uh, Charlita Williams. Is that who? Um, yes, that's my, know. so my roommate, fun story. So initially <laughs> for this piece, I was like, I just want to do it like super simple. I'm just going to film it like in my room behind a white wall and I'm just going to be talking to the camera. And then I was doing it and I'm like, I don't like this. So mm-hmm. that night I texted her. I'm like, yo, is there any way you could be in the morning and we could shoot some stuff? Mm-hmm. And like. I'm not really usually a fan of like the poetry videos where you see people like walking with the trees and stuff, but I'm like, I feel like I'm just gonna have to bite the bullet and do something like that. So Mm -hmm. she met me that morning and luckily she's like, she's an actor too. So -hmm. when it came to like the shooting aspect, I could say like, oh, could we do a close up? Could we do a medium? And like, she already knew the language and stuff. So she Mm -hmm. totally came through and like saved me with this piece. Because she got the next morning and shot it for me. So, yeah. Oh, it's really well done. And um, I'm assuming you went back in and did some editing and cutting, chopping, and splicing things together to make it seamless. And Yes, yes, I I edited it as well. Look at that. So, yeah, you're doing your thing. You still find a way to carry on during this time. Uh, It's a real pleasure to meet you. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. If someone wanted to follow the work of Crystal Corrine, what's the best way for them to do so? Crystal underscore Corrine on Instagram, Twitter, and then just Crystal Corrine on Facebook. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, projects that you can uh, tease us that are on the way or in the works or in production. Um, what, what do you have coming up in the immediate future? Right now, I, um, I'm working on learning more about uh, recording music, like doing it more on my own. So I have like a MIDI keyboard. So I'm like working on making beats. So I'm hoping Hello. to, Hello. I'm hoping to uh, release music. Um, yeah. I'm working with another production company to make a short film. Mm. Um, and I'm also working on my own pieces, doing some more of the sung uh, spoken word stuff. So, yeah. Fabulous, fabulous. Well, continued success to you. And uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. Keep in touch with Psychotic Bump School. And one day we'd like to have you back to hear some of those beats, okay? Awesome, thank you. I just wanna say thank you so much for having me. I feel like this is, it's just always a great thing when, when black people support each other. I feel like it, it's so important. And yeah, black people were magical. I love us. Let's keep let's keep killing it. Let's keep doing it and let's just keep, you know, being the incredible beings that we are. This is Ayana Woods, and you're listening to DJ Rome on Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. Ay, 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 ay.
Yes, we are back. KCWG, thetruth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bum School. I'm DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, there is a very exciting project that is on the horizon. I had the distinct honor and pleasure of meeting the content creators of this project we're about to discuss right now. The project is called I Am a Black Man, Ascension of the Kings, and it was put together by a team that refers to themselves as Boss Lady Media, and I am very excited to introduce a few of the participants right here, right now. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, first up is the inimitable uh, Darshell McAlpine out of Houston. Miss McAlpine, are you there? I am. Hey, how you doing? Welcome aboard. And Thank you for having us. Oh, I'm excited to talk to you all. And coming up next is uh, the good sister. She's a clinical psychotherapist, and she's currently stationed in Atlanta, Georgia. Ladies and gentlemen, also welcome to Psychotic Bump School, the good sister, Dr. Carolyn Stevens. Dr. Stevens, are you there? I am. I am here. Thank you so much. You are very welcome. Thank you for joining us. And least but not last, the good brother. He is actually a prominent participant of this particular project. He goes by the name of Alpine, ladies and gentlemen. So also welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, the good brother, Mr. Reggie McAlpine. Alpine, are you there? I am here. I'm here and I'm glad to be here. Look forward to the uh, substantive dialogue today. Oh man, we got a whole entire piece of pie to dissect with this uh, project you got going on here. And I want to talk to y'all all about it. So Boss Lady Media, Darshell, I guess I'll start with you and uh, Dr. Stevens before we get to the good brother. Uh, how did this all come together and leading up to this project called I Am a Black Man, Ascension of the Kings? Uh, first, uh, can you recall the inception itself of Boss Lady Media? What can Dr. Stevens and you tell us about that process? Well, first of all, to, you know, just to clarify, Boss Lady Media is actually the media piece responsible for the documentary. Okay. The project is actually uh, Dr. Steve Stevens' brainchild, yes. and that is part of Black House Collaborations. Oh, okay. And she reached out to me for the original project, which was I Am a Black Woman, to uh, publish uh, for Boss Lady, Pup, Boss Lady Press publishes books and so she reached out to me to publish the book we just connected fell in love and this project has definitely taken on a life of its own so we're just excited to be able to have a movement that really changes the narrative and gets discussions we're talking about things that we haven't talked about before and we're understanding each other in ways that we haven't before so uh, all credit goes to dr stevens um she just lets me ride her coattail i'm just here helping her put it together <laughs> <laughs> well the one carrying the the, uh, the superwoman cape herself is also here darshell dr stevens uh thank you for that clarity darshell dr stevens how do you recall that inception oh okay well first of all let me say, since since the whole wide world is going to hear, hear us here. Absolutely. So, the whole entire world. <laughs> and so I've got to make sure that I bring some clarity to this. So Darshell in her modesty, <laughs> um, which I do appreciate, but Absolutely. we are co-collaborators on this project. Um, yes, I had the vision in the midnight hour and Darshell uh was able to manifest the vision with her talent and expertise so um i don't know who's riding on whose coattail <laughs> depends on what day of the week you're talking about <laughs> right, right. 
Um, but but I always say that we are uh, co-collaborators in this in this project because this project would be no good if if I if it was just stuck in my head and we had no one to help to manifest the vision. So I wanted to make sure I cleared that up. Mm, it is clear, Darshel. She said you ain't get away with that one. <laughs> That's what she said. I heard it. I heard it. Okay. All right, Mr. McAlpine, I don't know how you uh, deal with the, this this positive energy here. Uh, how did you come aboard this project, good brother? Well, um, I've been um, part of, my wife was part of I Am a Black Woman, mm -hmm. and um, it was a natural progression. I, I've been writing for years, and so when I got an opportunity to be part of I Am a Black Man, Ascension of the King, I thought uh, that it was imperative for us to take this opportunity as black men to begin to express some of the challenges that we face each day um, being black men in america being black men in the world and a lot of part of the parts of the world today and so it was um incumbent upon us to create the open dialogue to be vulnerable and to create the environment that it is all right for us to begin to talk about challenges such as mental illness in the black space um, sexual assault yeah, as it relates to black men. Um, how does black men see uh, black women? What are some of the challenges of black entrepreneurs or black CEOs operating in a system that doesn't always um, create a platform or a foundation for them to be successful? So these are the things that we want to bring out to other men to let them know that you're not alone. We are struggling together. Let us begin to get together, create best practices together, so that, that at the end of the day, we begin to heal ourselves as black men and become um, better leaders, better partners um, with our sisters. Absolutely. Okay, I'm coming back to Darshell and Dr. Stevens in just a second, but Mr. McAlpine, can, what, from your vantage point, what were one or two, when you, know, when you knew that you were gonna be a part of this project, can you think of one or two things as far as myths about black men that you wanted to dispel right away? You kind of touched upon it when you talk about the importance of speaking about vulnerability, the things that black males go through in this system. But can you highlight even more, maybe one or two things that you wanted to make sure that you dispelled right from the get-go by participating All in this right. project? So there was two things that, that it was more than two, but I'll take two. The first thing I wanted to dispel is black men do not participate in the rearing of their children. Mm. Um, this has been propaganda that has been, um, created and so we create perceptions even within our own community now that's not to say that every black father is present um but there are a lot i look at the oikest of men that i hang with and that that i deal with there are fathers upon fathers willing to relocate willing to do what it takes to be in the lives of their kids willing to create an environment with their spouse that makes sure it's a nurturing and loving environment so i really want to dispel the myth that you have more absent fathers than you have present fathers within our community. Um, we are, if you just look at historical, there is a reason why some of these dynamics even came to be because post 1970, there was a total different family structure or dynamics that took place. But some of those issues are systemic. Other issues are things that we have to improve ourselves, drug addiction, mental illness, um, the idea of enmity or the, the willingness to create enmity through the system between black males and black females, all things that you have to take into account when you start looking at um, what dynamics brought us to this particular point. And the mm -hmm. second point that I wanted to
to create is that we can create loving, lasting relationships with our black sisters. Um, I am not against anybody's preference on who they date or who they marry. Uh, I do believe, or I do have a Umar Johnson viewpoint is that the greatest respect you can show to your diaspora is to marry somebody within your diaspora. Like I said, that does not mean that I want to ostracize anybody else from making their own decision. That's my thought. And I believe that black women understand black men more than any other culture because they are alongside fighting some of the same challenges and some of the same battles and some of the same systems that we are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well stated, good brother. So uh, Dr. Stevens, I'm gonna come to you. Did this project sort of write itself? I mean, obviously Mr. McAlpine is a great subject matter for this, this, this project. However, did you go into it knowing and expecting that sexual assault would sort of be at the premise of this or within the core nucleus of the entire project? What, what was your process in picking sort of the subject matters or did it sort of just happen organically? Yes, uh, I would definitely say that this project evolved organically and I always like to say that um, <clears throat> I, I co-created this project unintentionally. Mm. Uh, uh, it was actually a result of the seven years that I spent as a community therapist that I had the idea first for the I Am A Black Woman project. And then as we were creating the I Am A Black Woman project, after interviewing all of those queen authors, which is what we refer to them to, after interviewing all of those queen authors, um, I began to see that their stories at some point seemed to be a bit synonymous in that there was always uh, the presence or there was the lack of a presence of the black male, whether it was a father or a brother or um, the, the black male in, in those particular women's lives served as their oppressor. And so in not wanting to create a project that would further indict the black man, um, I thought it would be in all fairness to be objective and say, let's hear from the hearts of the black men so we could understand the why. Mm -hmm. And I felt that in, in understanding the why, um, what was the premise for the behavior? Why? why did these things happen? I felt that as a black woman, if we could understand the pathology of the black man, then it would create a greater level of cohesiveness, first and foremost, between black men and black women. Thus, we could create a healthier black community. Absolutely. I'm wondering to what degree some of those themes that uh, Mr. McAlpine was talking about have emerged even more so during this pandemic, during the protests of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Rayshard Brooks, on and on and on, right? So mm -hmm. some of the recurring themes that stem from some of those issues you talked about, because it's it, the sexual assault piece was was fascinating, but Reggie also mentioned uh, the, the myth of the, the absent black man. It's like he, he wanted to knock that out the water from the get-go. Uh, before I go to Darshell, Dr. Stevens, are you able to really quickly highlight you know when you were thinking about this some of the the, the comp what are the themes that are emerging for you in your practice right now in the community because i have had to step my game up as a psychologist out here in california just to provide some safe space for people who just needed to process stuff uh can you highlight a couple of things that you have seen emerge during the onset of all of this 
uh, pandemic and protesting that we're dealing with right now? Well, sure. Uh, definitely, just as Alpine mentioned, um, you know, more Black men are becoming verbal about uh, their sexual oppression. Mm. I, I will honestly say that uh, I was a bit taken aback when I began to hear the King authors of this project begin to speak so candidly about their experiences with sexual molestation and violation. Um, I, I've always been accustomed to hearing women talk about that part of their life and their trauma. Mm -hmm. um, but this project, again, um, it has really taken me aback. I, I, I am just elated at the transparency of these Black men to come forward and to talk about that piece of their life because I know as a therapist that this is very prevalent in the Black community. However, it is not a subject matter, especially amongst Black men, that is talked about uh, openly. So this, by far, is just completely awesome that now we have these men who are coming forth and are talking about that particular subject matter in with a level of transparency Absolutely. that is absolutely wonderful. Yes, it's just vivid detail. Mr. Alpine, she's not wrong, is she? <laughs> uh, she's definitely not wrong, but I think there's one thing that's, that's really important to, to underscore that our stories was a surprise to each male because it's not like we were vetted based on what our stories would be. Mm -hmm. uh, we were allowed to create our stories and it was just um, coincidence, happenstance, or you know, you know, culturally based that quite a few of us have had some type of experience um, as young kids with some form of molestation. Uh, right. And like I said, I think that um, I cited even in a piece, you know, when you heard about Tyler Perry, when you heard about Charlemagne the God, you have heard about other individuals. It's not like it's a new, it's, it's something new that's happening in our community. What's happening is that the idea of it being taboo or the idea of right. it's almost like in our community, you know, you don't have to go to a psychologist. You don't have to go to a psychiatrist. Ain't nothing wrong with you. Just pray about it. And mm -hmm. I'm not against prayer, but we're starting to realize that we as broke people, as sick people need something more than we may want to come from a clinical perspective and then add into a religious belief to mm -hmm. try to moderate some of the challenges that we're dealing with, that we're facing every day. That's and so right. that has been, uh, that molestation part has been something that has been part of our community mm. for years and yes, years. It and it's just been something that we didn't want to talk about, that we didn't want to deal with, that we didn't want to face. And mm. in this new climate where we are unrobing a lot of things that were masked, you know, that we would consider to be taboo, we are unmasking it now. We are unveiling it now. And knowing that we have to get past these points in order for us to heal and be better as individuals that that, that will in turn make us better as a collective. Absolutely. All right, Darshell, I'm coming to you. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. That was the good brother Alpine. We also have Dr. Carolyn Stevens, and we have Darshell McAlpine, and we're here to talk about their latest project entitled I Am a Black Man, Ascension of the Kings. It is sort of a um I don't want to call it a choreo poem because that reminds me of uh, Intasake Shange's book. Um, what's the best way to describe it? It's a documentary. It's a book about brothers, right, Darshell? I mean, it's exactly. just, just honest, vivid 
disclosures, forthcoming brothers, just talking about some really personal things. So for you, Darshell, um, what was I opening for you about this project? You have the privilege of sort of looking at this from the inception and then at the back end when everything is assembled, I'm assuming if you could tell us a little bit more about your role in this project and you have the totality of this material and content, uh, what stood out for you? Uh, what came across as a bit of an unexpected detail that emerged? What can you tell us about that part of the project for you? I think the biggest takeaway from reading the stories and 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 mind you i get them when they're raw i get you know them when they just have a cursory edit and those stories are still raw um sometimes i can tell a person's personality just from the reading i can tell when the writer's hedging his bet when the subject matter is too heavy and they're almost bypassing the information unintentionally it's a subconscious path i'm going to mention this but i really don't want to talk about it Mm -hmm. And my job is to double back and say, hey, you said this, but I can mm -hmm. see that you open up. Tell me the rest of it if you're comfortable. Because you mentioned it because you need to get it out. What's the rest of this story? Okay. But the biggest takeaway is that these stories, even though it's an answer to the I am a Black woman, the compendium, it is... The, what stands out is that we are one. We are the same. Many of the challenges that we face as women are Black men face. Mm -hmm. What we've been told and what the narrative is, is that we don't understand each other and are, we don't have shared experiences and we don't get along. What this project has taught is that we, we do get along and we do have shared experiences. But more importantly, we need to bridge the, the gap, the lie. We need to build a bridge over the lie. We need to cover it. We need to bury it and build that bridge that is the safe place you talk about. And that's been a theme we are creating for both men and women, Black men and Black women, a safe place yes. to discuss, to be open, to be vulnerable, to engage to entertain the fact that you might need professional help and that is healthy and good Absolutely. yes as alpine mentioned let's pray mm -hmm. let's pray together let's agree in prayer but at the same time let's use what god has given professionals who understand the psyche and who understand how to help us walk through those things let's together we're, we're always expecting someone to come and help us to do things for us now we're saying uh as tyler perry said we're going to build our own table we're going to come to and build our own safe space where we can come and heal and move on and that is probably what stands out most as I read the stories. Absolutely. So as I was watching the documentary, I was hearing somebody fielding questions to the brothers. Was, was, the, was that you doing that? That was me. Okay, so the, the elder at the beginning, if I heard him correctly, he said something about not only was he a victim, and I may have this wrong, so correct me if I, I got it wrong. He, not only was he a victim, Darshell, but did he also say at some point he turned around and victimized someone else? Or well, that he was victimizing what he did say um he talked about not being a good father yes he didn't have a good father and mm -hmm. then he wasn't a good father and just a little a little something for the audience he is actually my dad oh god bless him okay he's our dad and so as a part of this project um 
it was the first time they had seen my brother in 32 years. Mm. And that discussion opened up organically. And there's actually additional footage that will be coming out later that goes through that dynamic. But when I tell you that the discussion began to bring healing in the room as we were recording, the, the cameramen, the director all stopped and they were, they were arrested. Some Mm. of them stopped and said, I need to call my dad Mm. because having Andre King, who's my dad, be very transparent about him not being where he needed to be and the reason why, and not making excuses, not being sorry and saying, well, this happened, but saying, I was selfish. Mm. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I Mm. wasn't there. Mm. And I tell the man to be there because I wasn't there. And now it's too late for me to be there. Um, Having been that honest, Mm -hmm. this is what this project is about. That level of honesty. Father, you may have missed it. Mother, you may have missed it. But you have an opportunity. Sometimes when you wound somebody and you hurt them so deeply, yeah. They want you to acknowledge their pain with That's your apology. Yes, yes. I mean, <laughs> yes. I, 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 you just said a word right there, Darshell, but there are certain things, Mr. Alpine, that make what Darshell said so hard in this society. I mean, what makes it so hard for that acknowledgement to, to, to occur? And why is it not rewarded when we express our pain, when we express our vulnerability? We're, we're called soft. We're called weak. We're called punks. We 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 we're basically analyzed by some segments as the antithesis of what this president, well, this this occupant of the White House sort of embodies: strength, never apologize, never back down, never admit a mistake, and he fails up. And so somehow, some way, this type of uh, these type of discussions aren't rewarded with, you know, in the candor that they represent. They're they're not given the validity of. The, the, the manhood that's truly required to do so. So I know I'm rambling, Mr. Alpine. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think there are two things. Um, we need to understand, we have a misconception of what strength is. Two, come on. Um, strength is being a servant leader, leading mm. from the front, not just leading on the shoulders while others carry you and you mock out instruction. Come on. That's what a leader is. Um, I believe that, and I'm going to use this term lightly because I think that sometimes we go hard one way or the other way. There are some, there are some toxicities in masculinity if any event it causes you to divorce yourself from connecting with your emotional side, which is part of the uh-huh. duality of what makes you who you are. Say we that. need to have a holistic approach to who we are as people, mm. mind, body, soul, and spirit. And That's so right. in that particular process, you know, if you go too hard right to a left in any of those areas, um, you're, you're not going to be balanced. So That's we right. need to find a healthy balance. And unfortunately, we've been, like you talk about the man in the White House, if you get to the point where you never want to apologize, even if you make a mistake, then you become desensitized to the idea of making mistakes. Mm-hmm. Why? Because no matter what happens, we're going to forge ahead, no matter right or wrong. So just the idea of saying I made a mistake and it doesn't imp- impact your next decision or how you look at the next circumstance, the next situation, then you are not learning from that experience. Experiences in life supposed to cause us to learn, to pause, to ponder, to have a certain level of introspection. Mm-hmm. And introspection is not um, barbarianism. 
it is not the savage way of it it, we have to learn how to meet our mates where they at to talk to our kids and have them not necessarily not only be firm and hold your head up and your on your shoulders out but we also got to teach them how to say i'm sorry i apologize Mm -hmm. i looked at this wrong I was wrong for doing this. I hurt you. What can I do in this particular space to improve how I respond in certain circumstances and situations? That's strength. It is. That's the embodiment of strength. Come on. This is work. I mean, you just don't come out the womb knowing how to do this. Alpine has done his work and all the brothers in this project. So I want to commend all of y'all. The good brother, Mr. Andre King. Let me see if I got this right, Darshel. You can help me out. Uh, the good brother Alpine is with us right now, uh, Pharrell Phelps Jr. Uh, That's and Vines. It was beautifully directed and photographed by one Gracie Henley. So it, the, the, the documentary is actually just beautifully shot. I mean, it's just laid out. The, the transitions are smooth. It's, it's well, high quality. Directed and produced by Courtney Glaude. Uh, the project's called I Am a Black Man, Ascension of the Kings. Darshell, Dr. Carolyn Stevens, and Alpine are here. Uh, what can y'all tell us about how soon this will be available? When can we see it? When can we get it? The public needs to see this right now. What's the best way for them to keep in touch with you and get access to this project? So the documentary um, is available now on YouTube. Um, we didn't hold it. We had our full launch and we had well over 3,000 people see it as a launch. But we wanted to keep the, the conversation going. So it is available on YouTube. You can type in, I am a black man, Ascension of the Kings. You'll see it there. You can go to the Boss Lady Press YouTube channel and you'll be able to see it there. The book uh, will officially be available August 14th, but you can go to bossladypress.com and pre-order your copy now. And you can pre-order the hard copy or the ebook. This is Angel on Sax, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host DJ Rome on KCWG, thetruth.com, best internet radio on the planet. There's a lot of us been pushed around, red, yellow, black, white, and brown, with a tear of their own. While you're picking on society That the leaves on your family tree Are calling you to come home You're the keeper of the castle So be a father to your children A provider of all their daily needs Like a sovereign Lord protector Be their destiny's director And they'll do well where you lead Shine in her day In the garden 
We are back. KCWGTruth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome, and uh, I'm here with a panel of brothers, ladies and gentlemen. We've been talking about some things amongst ourselves, and we are all in our respective communities in our own ways and fashions are experiencing the brunt of what's happening in terms of coronavirus, police brutality protests, and there are certain developments that are just having an impact that uniquely impacts the brothers. And so I was talking to my good brother, Dr. Chase Moore, who I'm gonna talk to in just a second. We were just talking about the impact that this time and period that we're in, the impact that it's having specifically on single, or not single, but straight heterosexual black men. Because, and I'm, and I'm zoning in just like that because what we're gonna talk about is the ways in which this election cycle is going to be impacting on black men and they are coming for our votes. And I wanted to have a conversation with my good brother. So this amazing panel was brought to you by the likes of myself and this good brother, Dr. Chase Moore. You guys have heard his voice before, you're seeing him now. He's an amazing psychologist from Northern California. He's an administrator. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School, my good brother, Dr. Chase Moore. Welcome back, brother. We also have your brother. Uh, the good brother, Jerry Marshall, is a professor, adjunct professor in Northern California. He's also been here before. You've heard his voice before. Now you get to see his distinguished travels in the background there. <laughs> About Welcome to happen. Back. Absolutely. Uh, the good brother, Mr. Jerry Marshall is with us. And my brother, this is actually a classmate from 19, we go way back. We actually, I haven't seen each other since middle school and high school. And this is our first conversation since that time. So proud of you, brother. And it's so good to see you and actually have conversation with you in real time. He's an attorney out of Atlanta, Georgia now. The good brother, Mr. Brian Granville. Brian, Jerry, Dr. Chase Moore, how are y'all doing, brothers? Doing well, doing well. Man, I am so proud. I am so proud of all of y'all. Let me just say that right from the top. It's an honor to be amongst you cats who are doing so much and doing so well on behalf of our community. Y'all are a good look for us. So uh, let's break it on down, Dr. Chase Moore. Um, you and I were talking in the car, man, when I was in the car. Uh, what are your thoughts about this time that we're in as it impacts black men, brother? All right. Uh, first of all, let me just uh, say hello to the panel as well. Uh, just, you know, the, the precursor to this, uh, just getting to meet you guys. Uh, and Brian, again, to meet you, I you know, have a lot of respect for you already, brother, so thank you for, for doing this. Um, I would say, you know, definitely for me as a, a black male who has a wife and three kids, uh, when you have a sense of, uh, I guess, nationhood and understanding that uh, we as uh, African people in America, black people, we have so, so far to go, we have so much to build. Uh, when you come with that that frame of mind and that energy, it, uh, it allows you and it uh, almost makes you think about certain things. And you look at how can we climb out of what it is that we are experiencing. So as a father, I have a different perspective. Um, as, a, as a man who has a wife, I have a different perspective. As somebody who wants to build generational wealth, I have a different perspective. And as a black man in this country, that <laughs> further adds another perspective. And so um, as I started to look around, uh, I didn't see anybody who was speaking to me. I, I saw, you know, I see a lot of things that are pieces that I can grab onto and then uh, try to use my imagination about how, how I can make it work for my situation. But there's nobody out there speaking to me there's nobody out there speaking life into what I would like to achieve in this particular country, which is America. And, um, 
And so, you know, that's kind of why I came to you, uh, Rome, because I know that you're knowledgeable. And I think uh, a part of your gift is bringing in people who have those perspectives that can empower us. And so I just wanted to have a conversation related to some of the things that uh, black males think about. Um, and what I, when I mean black males, I mean self-created, uh, self-actualizing, self-understanding black males, not the type of black males that you see uh, being portrayed in the media, but ones that are coming from uh, homes and families that support and love and empower them. And I think we have to distinguish that because um, there's a difference. Uh, there's a difference between um, you know, defining a man by what is needed for his culture and with his family and for his family and defining a man in the media. Um, I'm someone who, you know, defines manhood um, in a way that it cannot be defined outside of the culture. It cannot be uh, defined outside of the needs of the culture. And so uh, with all that said, there, there are a lot of things that I think about that I need as a, as a man in order to provide for my family as a black man that I don't see out there for me. And so uh, I think some conversations that need to be had that might step on some toes, um, but uh, they need to be had because it will give us the space and the energy to acquire what it is that we need to build wealth and be empowered. And, and power is a word that sometimes is often, um, you, you know, not used by black people um, or African people, especially men, because it has been uh, villainized and criminalized, but that's exactly what I'm seeking. I'm seeking power to make the changes I need for my family and my culture. Absolutely, absolutely. And that brings us to Mr. Marshall, because Mr. Marshall was here before when we were just talking about uh, male and female relationships in particular. And um, Jerry, can you pick up right there? Uh, we, Dr. Moore brought in a lot of uh, elements there. And uh, what I'll add to what he said was uh, the element of um, the, re the recent kerfuffle with uh, Nick Cannon and uh, how he was being sort of vilified in the media for the things that he said. And the fact that he um, channeled uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan during uh, some of his um, speaking. Um, what are your thoughts on what you've heard up to this point, Jerry Marshall, and your, your stance on the, the perception and stance of uh, affirming black malehood in this time right now? What are your thoughts on that? Um, and just so I'm clear, if we're talking about defining male masculinity, um, we've had, I've had this conversation with just this last couple of weeks with a whole lot of folks, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we all have to define ourselves for ourselves in those, con in those constructs. Um, but I take, a, I take a view of male masculinity uh, as more of a, a spiritual and ancestral perspective. Um, I think sometimes when we start, we live in this world of duality where we have up, down, right, wrong, black, mm -hmm. white, you know, and I think masculinity, femininity are really energy concepts, and I spell energy, I-N-N-E-R, capital G, the energy, the God force with us that really, to me, doesn't have these um, male, female constructs. Mm -hmm. uh, but the important of it is for me to look at it from an ancestral myot perspective, mm -hmm. where it's about our balance of both energies that exist within us. Mm -hmm. And we recognize when we get off kilter, when we're doing, when we're out of balance, when we're moving too much to what we call the feminine energy with us and within us versus the male energy that's within us. But there's this balance that we have to stay close to. 
right? Mm -hmm. So I describe it as an energy, an energy force and maintaining the, like the yin and the yang, maintaining mm -hmm. that balance that we all know we should have. Um, the whole universe is in, a, in an order of balance. So within us, we should be in an order of balance between those two energies. Absolutely. Male and female. Male and female. Okay, Mr. Mm -hmm. Granville, what are your thoughts on that? We're, we're talking a little bit about masculinity and what it means during this day and age and time as people are um, heading into this election season and dealing with an ongoing pandemic and police protests and whatnot. Mr. Granville, what, what's it been like out your way out in the South? Now, you know I went to Dorsey. Why are you asking me all these complex questions? <laughs> That's because you're from Dorsey. But you know, I, I did graduate. I'm a Howard Bison. I got three degrees. Oh, you know? Look at that. But, at that. Uh, but it's, it's all good, you know, but that's a great question. I mean, I'm listening to, to the panel and, you know, I don't think I ever asked myself that question. I mean, just mm -hmm. or had to answer that mm -hmm. or articulate my thoughts. So I just uh, wrote down a few things and, and to me, I, you know, I consider myself very masculine, uh, a man, a black man, uh, especially a black man that in, prior to 1975 grew up in the nation of Islam. So I was able to be exposed to some things when I, by the time I turned eight, that most people are trying to just learn for the first time now in their 50s. So, mm. uh, but then of course I dropped the ball and fell down on the level of the beast with everybody else. So now I'm getting back reacclimated with the knowledge and the wisdom. But mm. to answer your question, you know, it made me think, well, what is my job? I'm a black man, I'm masculine, what, what am I here to do? Mm. Uh, and if we all did our jobs, even though that may be subjective based upon the person, but there are some things objectively or oh, from a macro level that we all should be doing, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, and when you get on a macro level, that's when you're talking about building community, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we think about building communities, you know, unfortunately we have to go back to Rosewood or what was the one in, uh, in Tulsa and the Black mm -hmm. Wall Street. Yeah. You gotta go all the way back there mm -hmm. to uh, even start. So you know where I'm going with this, right? So oh. we need to manifest those things now. So I've already started. Mm -hmm. And you know, you know, as we plan, God plans, and he's the author of all plans. And, mm -hmm. and some of the things, can we put them dogs up, please? I'm sorry. We'll let the dogs out, man. We'll let the dogs out. I already told her when they did it before to put them up. You know, <laughs> they don't listen to me. You know what I mean? You yeah. know, I, I'm, I, I might be smart and intelligent, but I'm a typical black man. My wife never not but it's all that's, what, that's why you got a good wife. You got to keep that balance. <laughs> yes, balance. She keeps me humble real good. But yes. to answer that question, I just want to go, uh, as I was saying, you know, there's a lot of things that happen to us in our lives that we view it at the time that we're going through it as a devastation or woe is me. But we look back later in our life, and I can say that for myself. I'm so glad that happened to me because you see the knowledge and the wisdom that came from that to set you up for where you are now. So saying mm. that to say this, there's some positive things that come, can come out of this virus situation mm -hmm. that we're going mm -hmm. through. And mm -hmm. we've already seen it in the media and in the community. It's just people is waking everybody up, even the white mm -hmm. folks, I'm surprised about it. Because mm -hmm. we're not necessarily saying anything new now. We're, right. But they're seeing it differently. Right. So what I've been doing, my, my first job is to educate my kids. I'm married, I got two kids. Uh, they go to a very 
uh, expensive, uh, rigorous white school. But it's one of the ones in Georgia that has the biggest minority rate, but still they're minority. So what mm. am I doing? I'm educating my kids. So what books have they read so far this summer? The first book they read was, and I have an eighth grader and eleventh grader, a rising, a rising eighth grader and a rising twelfth uh, grader. So wow. the first book they read was the autobiography of Malcolm X. The second book they read was Carter G. Wilson's book, The Mr. Education of the Negro. The third book they read was As a Man Thinking by James Allen, written in the early 1900s. Mm. They got to they got to get the wow. got to know how to manifest the invisible, right? That's right. They got to be a, learn how to be a co-creator with God. Mm -hmm. um, so I mean, I won't list the books, but educating my kids, mm -hmm. having them and the family watch the news and understand mm -hmm. how to read the current mm -hmm. events so we can get wisdom on it. Why do we need wisdom? Because we need that wisdom so we can see how the enemy work and how we need to set up our own communities. That's and right. And to have wisdom in general. Yes. Um, and to create a culture. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I just happened to look at my daughter, who's 13, her Instagram uh, page, and I, I had to wonder if that was a good idea because I turned her to a radical. But anyway, but it's all good. <laughs> Well, that, I mean, you're not so, wrong there because I think what's happening, some of us, for the lack of a better term, are kind of waking up and screaming and they're wondering, what have I been doing all this time? I've been kind yeah. of living in a bubble. But they're not learning it in school. They're not learning exactly. it in school. Precisely. I told something today that I was totally unaware of, and I, I sell insurance. I didn't know that slave owners were put, getting life insurance policies oh, yeah. on the slaves so they can profit in life and death. And death. <laughs> yes. And, 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 and that's how, and they're using that money to create the generational wealth, which mm -hmm. is leading me to the thing. But we can't have success without loving our women. So loving my wife, I recommitted to my wife. Uh, we have the best relationship we've had because of, you know, what's going on in, in the country. I'm connect, connecting more to, with my community. I'm supporting my politicians with money. I'm getting active in that. Come so on. We, yes. we complain about the situation, but we have the power to, you know, to impact the situation. Yes. So I, you know, I got the lady who's running for district attorney. Uh, I, I'm not going to put all that out on here, but right. we've been doing a lot of things. If she wins, we got a friend in the district attorney's office. So we can be advocates for our youth who are getting locked up, right? That's uh, right. We can have different types of, 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 programs instead of locking them up, putting them in the treatment. You guys are psychologists, you, you know what I'm talking about. Because exactly most of these are dealing with mental illness. So yes. things, I won't go on and on, but things in that nature, but the most important thing that I've been doing is creating a community of colleagues. I've been specifically posting things that get responses so mm -hmm. I can try to create a socioeconomic, mm -hmm. just establish socioeconomic empowerment in my community. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we're gonna do a, uh, real estate investment trust so we can bring people in so we can buy property in our own community collectively. I might not be able to do it, uh, but if, if, if 100 people could put in, we could raise about $2 million. Look at that. Yeah, put it, put it in a trust. And Brian, I, Elect a I board agree with that. Board and, of so, you know, and I think that's kind of what I'm seeing. And I, I, I happen to that's think it. that some, we have to take a look at even when we start to talk about words like a community and Brian, you mentioned on a macro level and you're doing things tremendously on a macro level, but then within our community, we have these little micro 
um, things that people are doing. And we have to figure out within our community, what does it mean to have a community? Because it could be a large thing or it could be a small thing. So when I look at the word community, I look at how do we commune? What yeah. are those things that bring us together? It doesn't have to be something large sometimes. It could be a simple conversation that brings us together that raises our level of consciousness, right? So yeah. I think sometimes we have to redefine what is our community and what does that definitely yeah. mean to us? Yeah. Because we're really disengaged, you know, I mean. Well, we, we are if you're looking at a macro, but on a micro, you know, we commune on a lot of things. Yeah, and I do. think we can build from that. Right, because that's our community. How do yes. we commune together on whatever the issues are? You know what I like about most what you just said, Jerry, is uh, the, the fact of community and Brian being honing in on what he's doing. That's so important because, Chase, you and I talk all the time. And one of the things that is competing for our attention right now is the, 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 the tendency or the compulsion to try to focus on everything rather than honing in on what we can really make or where we can really make the most impact. You know, you and I do mental health. Uh, Mr. Marshall is a professor. Um, Brian does law. And being able to focus right now is very, very important. And it's empowering right now because we, we started this conversation talking about black men and uh, empowering black men and understanding what our role is during this time. And it's hard not to <laughs> siphon off the element of politics during this time because it's so intrinsically involved in everything that we're doing right now. Everything that we're talking about is impacted at a micro level, macro level by <laughs> politics and who we nominate and who we vote for matters. And sitting this out and making a protest statement at this time in terms of the election ballot is not a good idea at this time because we can school make an school. impact. And so since we're going there, I'll say uh, this is Psychotic Bump School. We're here with uh, the good brother, Dr. Chase Moore, psychologist out of Northern California. We also have also out of Northern California, the good brother, adjunct professor, Mr. Jerry Marshall. And we have my good brother from another mother from back in the day, Southern California, the D house, and now out of the Atlanta GA, the good brother attorney, Brian Granville. Um, what can we do, uh, Chase, is, is really important because right now, you know, I want to make sure we use the time very well because I know Mr. Granville's time is uh, limited. Uh, being able to focus on what to do and how to prepare for this election so that we are getting to work. Because what I am finding is that when I say this is going to be a landslide, <laughs> I, I know I'm trash talking and I know I the game so. laid out. Yeah, I know. But the, the thing is, it doesn't take very much for the other side to be motivated to vote for the guy in office right now. The bar has been lowered to such a low standard that all he has to do is say fake news, it's a hoax, Russia, uh, own the libs, and they're excited to go out and vote for him. Whereas on this side, we have such a stiff litmus test in order to motivate our voters, and he has to jump over all these hoops in order to meet the standard of excellence, if that's even possible, to be somebody that's at the caliber of someone that we can vote for with enthusiasm. And so the things that we can do is some of the things that Brian is talking about. We need to get involved. We need to use our money to support candidates that have issues on the ballot that are advocating on our behalf. And we need to support those candidates that are working actively to oust this current administration and the isms that come with it. And so I've done a whole other program on that. While I have you brothers here, uh, with the time that we have left, uh, Chase, what are your thoughts on all that? And what sense do you have of the, the, the time that we're in right now in the election season and your particular role in it as a father 
as a husband during this time. Uh, what's your take on things that you're going to do to empower yourself so that you don't lose your mind during this time? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I'll break it down in some steps. I think the first one is just um, uh, manifesting um, my own energy and power and understanding what I can do. And that's how you keep uh, fame and balance because you don't want to expand beyond what is feasible for you. Uh, what is feasible for me is using my influence as a, as a, you know, the leader of my household, as a man, as a person of influence uh, to educate and empower. And so, uh, you know, one thing I, I recommend for people is to read Dr. Claude Anderson's book, uh, Powernomics, because it speaks to a lot of what we can do to economically and politically empower ourselves. And so just utilizing the resources that are out there and stand within your scope, um, you know, the, and I think that gives us insight into living beyond the now. Uh, you know, we have to realize that many of us uh, for generations have been uh, taught in conditions to, to condition to live for the now. And we uh, have difficulty thinking beyond the present moment. Mm -hmm. So while, you know, this candidate uh, may not be the perfect candidate, he, it is a step in a direction that we want to take. So uh, I guess just using my knowledge and uh, my patience to give power to the people around me to be strategic. Um, so that would be my first step is to influence the people around me through education. Uh, and then, you know, as, uh, as we've all talked about, and I believe uh, Mr. Marshall brought up, is understanding how, you know, energy and how to balance it. And I think my energy now is, uh, you know, very much a, a masculine energy of really not caring about the, the minutia of it and what Dr. Claude Anderson calls parallel issues. Um, you know, my, my focus is really on moving us forward. So I don't care about, you know, uh, you know, what is being said in the media. I, I'm, I'm really bullheadedly moving forward on what we need to do. And that is build community and that is build power and, you know, taking the steps to do that because, uh, you know, there's a thing, thing called tailwinds and headwinds. And sometimes there are people who need to be at the head of it and who need to face the headwinds. And then there's people behind you who can think and have the moments of clarity because of what you're doing to do some real work. Um, and I think, you know, I believe that's kind of how we started to talk about uh, Nick Cannon and what uh, he was doing. Um, you know, whether he was uh, completely right or wrong, again, I think that energy that I have, I don't think that's the point. That's not the point to get caught up in what, you know, the point is we need space to have conversations where we can learn. That brother is on a journey, a spiritual journey. He may not have it all right, but there's a book called Growth Mindset by Carol Dweck where she talks about we need time and we need the, the uh, support of others to learn and grow. And if you're a teacher and a kid gets an answer wrong, you don't kick them out of class and say you can no longer uh, study here and you can't make any more money, which is everything away from you. You encourage them and then you give them the, the right answer and help them move forward. And so I think that's what we need to start doing in our community. And how that ties in is uh, when we have people who are now starting to be enlightened because of Corona being a time to uh, take a break and get out of the matrix, um, we need to support them. Not everybody is going to have the knowledge base that is on this panel. There are going to be some people that are just waking up and who are at, um, uh, you know, maybe a less knowledgeable level than you then you need to create enough room in your nervous system to support them because they're going to be passionate and they're going to be new, but you can't, we, we, we must not dismiss them and throw the baby out with the bathwater because they are on a potential growth process. Um, how that ties into this is when I am around people who are now waking up to a, a different form of knowledge, 
I'm going to be patient with them. I'm going to bring them along and I'm not going to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Chase, I don't know if this will address your question even further, because when I look at Brian, he, he, he and I come from the same generation, same community, same high school and whatnot. And so he blossomed, I would say, a lot faster than I did or at a different rate, because when he was 28, 30, I was still figuring things out. Yeah. And I, I'm a late bloomer. I didn't get my master's degree until I was in my 40s. And so some people peak at different times. And due to that, there somehow envelops a, a sense of insecurity if you re look at yourself relative to the progress of someone else without any understanding of the history that Brian's talking about and understand that he had certain things ingrained in him generationally, given that his progenitors ahead of him sort of laid the pathway in, in terms of what social excellence looked like in his family. That was the example set for him. And so to compare myself to him would do a disservice to the level of success that he has in lieu of where I come from, which is completely opposite. Family full of and women. And does disservice to you. Precisely, precisely. And so we all, we, we, we tap in at different points, but I think the issue ensues with like the black police officer I spoke to a little while ago. It's a young man's game, kind of like they say with sports. It's like everybody's in their prime in their 20s and 30s and Muhammad Ali lost the best years of his life when he went to prison for not uh, going into the Vietnam War. And when you lose those prime years, you can't get those back. And so police officers are often called into the line of duty when they're at their youngest, most vulnerable state of, you know, they haven't acquired the level of wisdom that we might have at this age right now. And so they're going to make mistakes. And without the apparatus to sort of roll that back and wheel that in and say, calm down, settle down, we kind of lose the importance of that. And so I, the, the ego comes into where we just figure it out and we just go for what we know and we just deal with the fallout of it as it unfolds. And we don't have to learn everything by personal experience. We can learn and live vicariously through the mistakes of others if we would just take the time to listen and take time to allow people who have insight and expertise in certain areas that we don't have to allow them to hold court for a minute. I can't do it no more, fellas. I can't on that. I can't do it no more. <laughs> well, thank you for just having this for him. It's beautiful. I love it. Well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Romo and I want to thank you for joining us this evening. We're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. Check back with us. We shall return next week. Also want to announce that we have some brand new pages for you to follow. Follow us on Instagram, y'all. Instagram.com slash psychotic bump school. Psychotic underscore bump underscore school for Instagram. On Facebook, just type in Psychotic Bump School. And if you'd like to email us your questions or feedback, hit us up at scibumpschool at gmail.com. That's P-S-Y bumpschool at gmail.com. Also want to thank our guests for the evening, Dr. Chase Moore, Jerry Marshall, Brian Granville, Crystal Corrine, Mr. McAlpine, Darshell McAlpine, and Dr. Carolyn Stevens. Also want to send a shout out to Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care.